How's it going, guys? Welcome to the Serious Angler Podcast. For those that are new to the show, the Serious Angler Podcast is created to highlight the many passionate and dedicated anglers that we have in our fishing community, providing them a platform to share their story with the world. If you guys aren't already, please go down and subscribe to this YouTube channel. And if you don't want to listen to the podcast through YouTube, you can find Serious Angler on the Anchor app, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. Check us out. Thank you guys for watching. All right, so in today's podcast, we have on Locke Holmes, a good friend of mine up here in New York. Fished him a bunch of times. Uh, we're going to get him on here to talk about fishing in New York, college bass fishing, talk about some swim baits, talk about trout fishing, some things that I don't have a lot of knowledge on, but he does. And uh, just going to talk different things about him and see what's going on, and uh, hope you guys enjoy. All right, we're recording. Locke Holmes going on brother what's up you uh you staying healthy in this this time of um try my best don't like to be quarantined without a gym but it is what it is yeah that, that's one thing we've talked about in the past is mixing fishing with the, the you know lifting the weights and trying to manage that i know when you're casting those big swim baits you got to be putting <laughs> up some weight and for, for people listening, uh, Locke's one of the only people I know in New York who still tosses giant swim baits, and he actually he catches them. But, you know, it's it's a movement. But you're, you're one of the guys in New York, that, one of few that I know that actually That's right. always has one rigged up. Big and, best dreams. We'll get into that in that a little bit. But before we start, you kind of know how this whole shindig goes. But uh, uh, if you want to tell everybody listening a little bit about yourself, who got you into fishing, and how that happened. All right, uh, I'm Locke Holmes. Uh, I'm from Rochester, New York. Uh, I grew up down in Virginia, and I moved to here when I was about five or six. And uh, I didn't really get into fishing until, seriously, until I was in high school. But uh, when I was younger, I would just, I loved fishing. I loved to catch whatever. I mean, I'd catch bass, panfish, whatever. Always loved stock trout fishing. And I didn't really get into seriously bass fishing until uh, high school when I fished the high school state championship in my sophomore year. Uh, my boat captain, I know you've had him on the podcast, was Casey Smith. Mm -hmm. And uh, that tournament, that was the first time I'd ever fished like a true bass tournament. And that was on a Wasco Lake. It was big bedfish and smallies. And we ended up coming in third place, and I've kind of been hooked ever since then. Uh, I continued fishing the high school, so I fished the high school state championship my junior year. And I think it was on Cayuga, and Casey was our boat captain again. I think we came in like seventh, seventh or eighth, so we didn't qualify for nationals. And then my senior year, we finally, me and my partner Aiden Blake, we decided we'd have one last go at it, and it was in... Uh, it was on Cayuga again. We ended up coming in second place. We lost by six ounces. I think we had like 21 or 22 pounds. Damn. And we ended up, we qualified for the high school national championship. And we ended up not going because no one could take us, unfortunately. Oh. That was before I had a boat or anything like that. So it was a tough time. And then my freshman year in college, I made the transition to college fishing. And that's just been a whole bunch of problems and ups and downs but yeah 
definitely who got me into fishing, I'd say it was Casey, just because after fishing that first tournament, it was just, I was hooked since then, and I've been bass fishing ever since. Nice. Yeah, we had Casey on here, and I talked a bunch of him, and uh, we talked about his brother, Liam, who's yeah. with, with Aiden. And Aiden has been tearing it up on the, the NYK. On the kayak, yeah. yeah. He'll join in a tournament here and there, and you always see him in the top three. So it's pretty cool. He's a good young angler. Um, oh, yeah. I think I watched a video of you guys on YouTube. Was, I think it was like a Honey or Lake tournament you guys were doing. In their tournament, Maybe. you guys were fishing together. I just remember you talking about that uh, your your honey oil special that uh, the worm. Oh, yeah, the I won't word. put out the details, but uh, <laughs> you call it the honey oil special. <laughs> that's, but, uh, yeah, that's a little secret of mine. But yeah. honey oil is definitely not my favorite lake to fish. But no, no not when you have you know Cayuga, Canisius, you know Oneida, Ontario, all those around here. And all your little trout honey holes that you you have, which will oh yeah, we'll get into the honey holes later. But we're gonna get into the the trout because I, when it comes to that, I know jack squat. <laughs> I don't know a single thing. Um, so you got into high school fishing, you kind of progressed. You you took off in bass fishing. You talked about college, how there were some ups and downs. Well, what were some of the ups, and then I guess after that, translate into you know what went wrong. Well, I mean, it was just. It was a different experience being able to fish in college, like transitioning from a high school tournament that maybe had like 40 teams. Uh, my first college tournament, I think there was 120 teams and it was down in Virginia. I just never driven that far to fish, never like taking my boat that far and just fishing a college tournament or a bigger tournament. It's just a whole different atmosphere. And I mean, my first tournament I ever fished, like, we didn't get a limit. I think we came we came in, like, 40th, and we only had two fish, but it was two good fish. It was just – it was a tough year that year, but pretty much every other college tournament I've fished, I'd either, I've either had mechanical problems, boat problems, or it's just a tough, tough tournament. I just haven't really gotten in the swing of things in college fishing. And living up here, it's like – half the time we're iced in and i'd rather be down south somewhere fishing you just can't can't put in the time on the water can't it's hard to maintain your gear when it's so cold it's just i've had i've had a lot of issues with college fishing but hopefully this will be my year and we'll get back in the swing of things yeah if this if this virus ever allows anybody to uh, yeah, yeah. get out and then you know and host a tournament you know a lot of guys are fishing because that's like a good way to quarantine you know to quarantine quarantine but- Seems like the tournaments are kind of put on hold. I think like Texas put on like sixty day, no tournaments or something like that. They closed down for like two months, something crazy like that. It sounds like some states are, like Illinois. There's no fishing whatsoever. You're not allowed to, you know, really? do anything. You're completely locked. That's dumb. Yeah, uh, that part I don't understand. I, I guess maybe the tournaments I can understand because you have you know big groups of people congregating. Yeah. But, I mean, I think one thing right now, at least in the kayak side, that's pretty cool is these online tournaments are kind of taking off for guys that you don't have to meet at a central location. You can just go fish wherever you want and submit online. Um, but, yeah, you have had a rough patch of boat problems. Oh, yeah. I remember hearing about that a lot. And uh, a common friend of ours, Jordan, Jordan Kofta, we'd always joke with you about, you know, you know going out to fish with you. Like, is the boat going to work? Is it going to be okay? And you, oh, yeah, I thought it was funny because when we'd go out together at Canisius, 
Be like, oh, well, we'll see if she'll run today. <laughs> we'll see if we make it through the day. <laughs> especially, yeah, especially after that one time we got stranded out there and had to troll and motor all the way back to the launch. That was a yep. fun time. <laughs> Did I have a bad rap with going out on people's boats and then breaking down. I don't know what it is. You must be bad luck. I think so, because between you and my friend Nate Poe, dude, every time, not every time, but like a good majority of the time, Something happens. Like, even with Nate Warsaw, sometimes a trolling motor uh, dies on us or yeah. something happens. Or a live wells. We've had that problem before, too. And I don't know what it is. Maybe I should stick to the kayak and not go on anybody's boat. I'm afraid to get my own boat because of that. You know? Ah, I don't know what's happen. Just seems like people that have bad luck. But you know what boat stands for? Break out another thousand. That's what they always <laughs> say. This is very true. Very true. For you, so obviously you grew up in Virginia, and then you come to New York. When you kind of put different regions in perspective, I know you said because we're kind of iced out majority of the time. I mean, this year was kind of weird, short short winter for us. But mm-hmm. you now, what part of New York to you makes it kind of special? I just having the access to so many different fisheries, like, and having natural bodies of water like the Finger Lakes. It's just the amount of fish and the types of fish you can catch are just unreal. And then having Lake Ontario and its tributaries, I mean, that allows you to target species that people can target nowhere else in the world, practically, except in the Northeast and the Great Lakes region. I mean, I I just enjoy having the fact that there's never, you always have something to fish for, like whether it's the summertime and springtime and you're fishing for bass or it's transitions of fall to winter, you can be steelhead and salmon fishing and then wintertime, you can be ice fishing. It's just nice being able to always have something to target and always have a good chance of catching a big fish. Yeah. So how does that work for you? Do you kind of have like a, a set calendar for throughout the year you're targeting one species at a certain time or do you kind of like to mix it up? I mean, I kind of like to mix it up, but if it's like late November, like early December, I'm pretty much my boat's put away and I'm not really targeting bass anymore. I'm primarily going after the steel and salmon, but around this time of year, it's just I'm all bass fishing until yeah. i'll be all bass fishing until october yeah makes sense so what would you rather be doing then in the winter months are you, are you going for steelhead or are you like the ice fish it depends on the weather but i mean ice fishing when i was when i moved up here that was the first type of fishing i really got introduced to was ice fishing mm-hmm. so it's always had a special place in my heart so i love the ice fish i don't think there's anything like it i know people that hate it aiden hates it liam hates it I just, I I live for ice fishing sometimes. Yeah. Well, it's kind of cool because you can target certain species, but I think you kind of, you get more versed in the multi-species world when you go ice fishing. Definitely. It's, I think it's a lot harder to target a certain species. Maybe I'm wrong there because I'm fairly new to it. But, like, I noticed when you would go out, you post on your Snapchat stories of, you know, you'd have one story, it's a pike, and then a smallmouth, and, and then a bluegill, and then a perch, and it's all different. It's it's tough to target one specific species, but it seems like it's you kind of have it down pat for what you want to go for. Yeah, down near school, it's definitely a lot different in Pennsylvania ice fishing because you can specifically just target one species if you really want to in some of those lakes during ice fishing season. But up okay. here, up here, it definitely seems like you get into the more multi-species. Yeah, you kind of have some of the fish that kind of group up together. Like yeah. It seems like you have that, that bass and bluegill that kind of hang out. I mean, bass yeah. are probably bluegill to eat the bluegill, but 
I think at that same point in time, it's, you know, because you, you'll catch like 10, 15 bluegill, and then you'll pull up one, and it's a largemouth. Or, yeah. Okay, so you've been pulling out some smallmouth, I saw, which is, yeah. seems incredible to me. I'd love to catch smallmouth with the ice. Def- they're definitely fun through the ice, especially if you can find them. They don't fight very hard, but that's what happens when the water's like 35 degrees. Yeah. It's absolutely freezing, but it is what it is. So, a little bit more about college bass fishing. I'm curious. So, you had some rough tournaments, but did anything go good? Like, did you, there was anything that kind of stuck with you that you're like, I'm excited for the next one, or something that kind of resonated with you? It's definitely fun being able to, like, hang out with your buddies and have, like, a week off from school. And you kind of just <laughs> hang out and fish all day. And I, I enjoy breaking down a new body of water, even if it's, like, extremely tough. Like, down there in Virginia, like, we always fish Smith Mountain Lake as part of the FLW College Series. And the caliber of fish down there is unreal compared to up here. Like, you're not going to – I probably, last year, I would throw around the glide bait as just, like, a search tool. I probably had five, six, eight-pound, seven, eight-pound fish follow it just because they're curious. And, I mean, I've seen nothing like that up here. Yeah. Was that one kind of strategy you guys would implement is, you know, you would have your have a glide bait, a swim bait, and then your partner would have, you know, like a – Yeah, like, like a, a, a Senko. We definitely – since it was pre-spawn, like spawn last year, having the glide bait as a tool to, like, search for fish and search for beds, it was helpful. But it seemed like if you would get one to follow, they, they wouldn't eat anything that you threw at them. It was definitely a good tool to find if there was fish in the area. So if we'd fish, we knew there was fish, like if we knew there was bed fish in one area, we might try fishing out a little deeper and I'd throw the glide bait around just to see if anybody was interested or to see if we could pull any of the fish off the beds. That's primarily how I use it, and down there at least. Yeah, to find areas that have good fish, but also to kind of test certain bed fish quickly to yeah. see if they'll actually react. Yeah. So then during the tournament, you'll come back in and actually fish it thoroughly is what you're trying to say. Mm-hmm. That's smart. You ever try that technique up here in, in New York? I mean, I, I'll throw the glide bait around around beds and around like, pre, like pre-spawn, spawn, post-spawn fish. It just it doesn't seem to work as well. I think I might need to downsize the glide bait. I think that might be one of the issues. But... Uh, I've seen it firsthand, but for the people listening, watching, what? How big of a swim bait do you throw up here in New York? Uh, I mean, I have some that are like nine, ten inches, but I usually stick to that like eight inch range. Like I like the Mega Bass I Slide one eighty five, so mm-hmm. that's like that's seven and three quarters, I believe. Yeah, that's, and I've seen you, I've seen you catch fish on it. You know, I've, I've I've caught one pound smallmouth on that bait. People <laughs> underestimate the power of it. Because it's it's essentially just an oversized jerk bait. That's really. right. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and it, it's. I mean, you showed me firsthand because I was I was and I confess to you I was a doubter. I didn't believe in it until I think it was maybe your tenth cast with it. You hook up and I'm like, oh, you just have grass, dude. And you're like, no. Like I saw your rod and I'm like, oh, he has a fish. Like all right. And you saw how many fish, like you said, how you, how you drew fish out. And you'd say like you have follows, and it's like. Okay, and now I'm looking at this big tote of mag drafts next to me. And I have <laughs> you to blame for that. But uh, the glide bait stuff is something I need to get into just because, I, like I said before, I have no idea what I'm doing. Yeah. Just trout stuff, I'm clueless. Um, it was just, 
watching like i was always into like oliver from big bass dreams he kind of got me into throwing big swim baits and i no one really up here that i know of does it and i just i thought it would work i wanted to try it out and i've been i've been hooked ever since oh yeah definitely definitely watching some of his videos like you can apply stuff they do out in california and texas you can apply it to here with the big swim bait like it's not that hard yeah, just because a seven eight pounder over there eats a swim bait doesn't mean they won't eat one out here. Yeah, that's you right. You just don't have the quantity of that size over here no. to eat over there. But I think you can correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't Oliver go out on Lake Ontario with a swim bait and catch smallmouth? He went ten- out. He went out on Saint Clair, I believe, and he was throwing. He was throwing a big defiant. He was fishing for musky. And he was, he's throwing like a nine inch swim bait and he caught some small mouth on that. So that's pretty insane. <laughs> that's a testament to that, you know, it will catch fish. doesn't matter how big it is. Um, you see a lot of that though, where guys will be fishing for musky northerns and they run into giant bass. Yeah. It's, it's kind of interesting and it puts things in perspective. And that's one thing, you know. When we, once we get past this cold stage where I'm going to take the A-rig off of off of my swim bait rod and mm-hmm. throw on this swim bait, I'm probably going to have it locked and loaded for <laughs> just about every trip, hopefully. I mean, I, um, you ever try throwing it at Cayuga? Because that's one place I really want to throw it. I throw, I throw the mag draft there. I've caught fish on that. But, I mean, if I'm throwing it there, I usually throw the 6-inch. Mm-hmm. I threw around – I've thrown, like, the Jackal Gantarell, which is a bluegill style yeah. it's not really a glide bait it's more like a jointed swim bait i've caught fish on that there i haven't really i've thrown the big baits there but i haven't had any action especially early pre-spawn it just it doesn't seem like they'll eat it i bet if you threw it there in the summer i mean i remember talking to chris Zaldane at the elite series and he said he was throwing around a big roman made which is a 12 inch and he said he was catching fish on that so that is nuts throwing a roman made in cayuga with all the pickerel no, thank I've, you. I've never caught a pickerel or pike on a glide bait. The only thing I've caught is muskie. Can't argue with that. I'll take muskie. a muskie ten times a ten over over yeah, northern. Muskie seemed like the only thing that would eat it. And then, I mean, I I talked to Oliver a few weeks ago, and he told me out in Spain they'll throw like the eye slide and stuff, and they they only throw it for bass. Like they won't catch those big pike on it. Said they have to switch to some type of like paddle tail or something with some more flash. To catch the pike huh. but it seems like the pike and pickerel they will not not touch a glide bait i have no idea why at least from my experience i'm sure there's other people who can say they've probably caught fish on it but i have not i mean if that's a, a valid thing where they really don't like that i mean i might have to get more into glide baits than uh, these mag drafts because i can't stand northern so i <laughs> we've caught so many of them up here it's just like mm-hmm. it's old but you know a good tiger now and then is pretty fun yeah yeah just because there's freaking gorgeous but um in your mind for new york for the bodies of water that we have what is what would be the best body of water to go and throw swim bait or i guess not the best but your favorite to go throw swim bait i mean i enjoy throwing at canisius just because pre-spawn they'll eat a jerk bait like really good Mm -hmm. and then i mean cayuga has a lot of potential I think if you're on the right bite, you could do some damage there. But I think honestly, any body of water, you could 
potentially catch a big fish throwing a glide bait. You just have to be in the right area and have the right conditions to do it. Yeah. I'm sure sense. I'm sure if someone could find like a pre-spawn jerkbait bite somewhere on Lake Ontario and you pick up a big like eight inch glide bait, I'm sure you could catch a giant smallie. That would be pretty sick. And I think with how clear if I mean I guess weather dependent if how clear the water is too, that would make for a, a sick bite if you could watch it happen too. That would be nuts. I'm hoping to get up to the St. Lawrence this year when bass opens up up there, and I'm definitely going to put some swim baits to the test and see if I can get something done with that. That would be ridiculous. You'll have to, you have to strap the GoPro so people can watch that. that would be, I, 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 should, I would love to see that. Put it on the bait practically how big they are. <laughs> what is it the oh, what is it called where you can have like the your line it's like a I've the seen water it, wolf yeah it's like the thing i think guys use what they troll for pike or something like that yeah they troll for that, pike and i've seen it in salt water a lot too that's nuts could you imagine watching that bite that that'd be crazy be, oh my god it'd be incredible puts things in perspective but yeah um so talk a little bit more about new york Bass aside, you're big into trout, steelhead, like you mentioned. Is is that a can you fish them fish for them all year long, or is that a pretty much certain time of year only kind of deal? It's definitely a certain time of year deal. I mean, I didn't really get into that truly until my like junior year of high school. And I've I've learned a lot since then and up here it's just like it's, after the salmon run, it's primi- primarily only uh, steelhead and brown trout just because the salmon die. They're semiparous, so they spawn once and then they die. But steelhead and brown trout, they can spawn more than once, and they'll always follow the salmon up just to eat the salmon eggs. And then <laughs> now getting to this time of year, you're going to have like holdover steelhead, which they'll stay after the salmon run, and they'll stay until maybe like April or so. It all depends on, like, the body of water you're fishing. Like, I know down there in those eerie tributaries, they'll be catching steelhead into, like, April, May. But up here, like, after March, I don't think you're going to have really too much of a shot at a steelhead, unless you get some spring runs. So you kind of mentioned how you got introduced to it. What's the story behind you getting introduced to the steelhead? The steelhead, I was really, like, I always knew the salmon were there, like, since I moved up here. And those those aren't, I mean, they're fun to catch. They're just, like, there's so many of them. It's not really sporting to target them. And then I just remember, like, fishing for stock trout in, like, March and hooking up on a steelhead. And I had, I, had, I was like, what is this thing? <laughs> and just, like, losing that fish and then realizing you could actually target them. Like, I had always known there was, like, big fish possible in, like, November, December in those trips. But after, like, hooking up on one steelhead, I was pretty much hooked. And then I, I, I just, like, taught myself how to fish for them over the years. But, I mean, I got some help from, uh, you know, Ben Schultz. Yep. He definitely, like, he keyed me in on some things. And I learned a lot from him. And then I got into the center pinning and then... I've been to a whole bunch of trips fishing for them, and it's just, it's fun. Definitely, yeah. definitely hooking up on that first steelhead was what got me introduced to it, and that was like in a spot where they shouldn't have been, which is just. 
So when you look when you when you go bass fishing, like a good day is you know over ten fish usually, or like a you catch a a, a giant or something like that. I guess it kind of dep- it depends for who you ask. For steelhead fishing, what is considered a good day of fishing for steelhead? I mean, a good numbers day would probably be like a dozen, but I mean. Most guys who go steelhead fishing, they're looking for that one, like, 30-plus-inch fish. Just looking for that giant, and that's it. Pretty much. At least from my experience. Like, <laughs> if you're catching a lot of fish, you're not catching the caliber of fish you want. That's for sure. Hmm. I've had very – the only time you can get into some big fish is if there's, like, a strong run of brown trout. You're just catching big brown trout one after another. Hmm. With steelhead, it's definitely the guys looking for that one big fish. So kind of like in bass fishing where you kind of, if you want to go after a giant, you kind of up your the size of your gear a little bit naturally. For steelhead, is that the same same idea? You know, when you're trying to catch a bigger fish or are you just kind of just being persistent? No, being persistent. And I mean, if you're fishing some pressured fish, I know guys that will drop down to like six pound, four pound leader, which is just, to me, that's crazy catching big fish like that like i was i've fished the lower niagara and there's people they're using six pound tests which is just insane it's just steelhead can be the most finicky of out of any fish i've ever seen right it's crazy do they have good vision is that why or is it just i have no idea i think i think the problem is at least around here is they just get so pressured like people just pound these little tribs which have low water and clear water and these fish see practically everything i mean if you're a lot of a big problem we have around here is people just snagging them and taking them home like throwing them in a garbage bag and taking them home but luckily for next year they change a lot of the regulations regarding the lake ontario tributaries which which should help the population hopefully didn't correct me if i'm wrong didn't somebody post a video or like an Instagram video of some guy snagging from New York this past year? Probably. I think it was Ben at his his creek, which is, that's totally private too. Huh. I want to say, yeah, it might have been him. About to ask him offline, but it, that's, that's, that's really shitty in my mind. Just like, for a fish that's so hard to catch, like I understand it's frustrating. I understand you yeah. want I mean, I hope it's for good intention, just to feed family kind of deal. But like, I doubt at the same it. Point in time you can easily just go catch, you know, fifty bluegill. That's probably a lot yeah, easier to catch, seriously. you know, something like that. But the thing that I see a lot, which I really don't like, is usually there'll be a strong run of brown trout, like ten plus pound brown trout. There'll be guys just like using a big ass spoon, just hooking them, throwing them on the bank, or throwing them in a garbage bag, and they take them home, like. That's a 10-pound fish. It probably has 1,000 eggs in it, which, I mean, they need to spawn. That's why they're up there. Yeah. So, in your mind, ethically, you don't fish certain areas at certain times of the year because you want to let them spawn first? Is that the idea? I mean, if you're usually spawning steelhead and spawning brown trout, like, if you're targeting steelhead and brown trout they don't really all spawn at one same time they kind of spawn over a period of time so ethically i've never really had any problems with targeting them just whenever because the chances that you catch a fish that's like in the process of spawning is very slim 
Because mm. usually if they're spawning, they're not going to eat anything. Do you keep any of the fish at all? Uh, I'll maybe keep one steelhead a year. And I mean, the limit was a 21-incher. Like, you can only have one. So I'd maybe keep, like, one 21-inch male, like, all year. Just so it doesn't have any eggs kind of deal? Yeah. And I, I prefer them to be fresh out of the lake because you don't really want to be eating one that's been out, like, been in the stream for a while because they get pretty dark and pretty nasty. But oh. <laughs> that makes sense, yeah. I, I would never keep a big brown trout. Like, I can't see people eating those. That's just, to me, that's, that's just not right. And to me, in my mind, when you think about trout, I mean, I think about, like, I mean, the one trout, the only trout I've ever kept, actually, was this past year. Uh, in December, uh, when I kept Lakers out of Cuca, that that was it. That was all I kept, and then that I mean, that tasted dang good. But it's like, I don't know. It, it's it's kind of interesting. Like keeping fish for me is, is kind of weird. I guess I, I guess because I've seen some unholy things happen in the, in these waters in New York. Yeah. So kind of think about this fish. You saw this guy dump twenty yards next to you in that same body of water. Like, do I really want to eat that fish? Yeah, it's like anything out of honey oil, I'm never would never keep a fish out of honey oil. No. Or Canisius. No, hell no. <laughs> Just seeing some nasty stuff, man. I definitely okay. think it's different keeping fish out of like when they run up the tributaries and keeping them out in the lake. Like if they're out in the lake, like they're clean. They're nice yeah. and clean. Like a big salmon out of the lake, like all day I'm eating that. Oh, well, like, that's entirely different. Yeah. A dying one up in the tribs, like why are you going to eat that? It's disgusting. No, yeah, like in my mind, it, it goes to how clear the water's like, how clean the water's gonna be. Like, if I was gonna keep fish out of like Canada, I would totally do that because yeah. you know you can't have motors in there or big motors in there. You can't swim. You're not allowed to do that. The water's pretty dang clean, so it's like I don't see the problem in that. Like, so it all depends on body of water for me. You know, they drop so many chemicals in some of these lakes yeah. too to kill grass, and it's just like it just turns me off. But uh, with how much my family hunts, we usually don't go. We don't go hungry from deer anyway. Yeah, so no. fishing is kind of <laughs> that one thing. Just that you do it for sport. But uh, so trout. I guess if you were in that golden hour where it's a great late fall, late fall bite for bass, but it's you know steelheads on. How do you make up your mind uh, which one you're going to target? To me, it's usually great fall bite for bass, steelhead, and deer hunting all in one, and I kind of have to have to pick. So how do you how do you decide between that? That's got to be tough. It it really depends on like what I fish for last, honestly. Like if I had caught some good bass like a few days before, then I'll be like, all right, I gotta go. I'll deer hunt the morning, then I'll steelhead the rest of the day. Or okay, that's smart. Kind of mix it together in a day. I didn't think about that. That's going to be tough because I have past couple of years, I've absolutely sucked out in the woods. I've had chances that some bucks and it just doesn't happen. I think I'm just destined to not shoot another buck again. I can, <laughs> I can kill a doe whenever I want, but apparently I can't shoot a dang buck. So I think I'm just going to leave the hunting to my brother and my father and I'll just go out. I'll go fish the fall and say, screw it. Yeah, screw go, go, go catch a big steelhead instead. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, I still need to do that. I haven't caught one. The only I, trout besides Lakers that I've ever caught was uh, there was brown no rainbows rainbows out in Montana and that was it, which is pretty yeah, cool. Just, I didn't know anything what I was doing. 
we have a couple stock trout lakes near school and we've been uh i mean we caught a bunch of the ice this year i probably caught like two dozen trout through the ice sheesh they fight hard the ice yeah they fight real hard especially like a like a 15 inch stock rainbow through the ice is you'll think you'll have like a crappie or a bluegill and that'll be like oh no that's a that's a trout because they just head shake like crazy and they're probably one of i mean i could be entirely wrong here too is they're probably one of the most active fish through the ice oh most definitely and they like you'll be marking like bluegill and crappie and stuff usually they're closer to the bottom and then you'll have a mark like maybe 10 feet under the ice and like 20 foot of water. And you're like, you know what that is. That's a trout. So they're naturally suspending. They don't really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I've, I've talked to people and they say, Oh, we'll set tip ups like three foot under the ice and 15, 20 foot of water. Cause the trout are just cruising under the ice. Huh? Do they naturally do that? Or do, are they have known to, you know, sit in a certain area at all? Kind of like how bass do. I mean, the, t- Usually in those stock trout lakes, if they make it to the winter, they'll just be like cruising. They won't stay close to the bottom or anything like that. It's weird, man. It just seems like a whole nother world to me. That's why it's so confusing, and I try to learn as much as I can. Because I don't target them at all. I mean, to me, like if I went out trout fishing, especially like say it's the fall, I'd be sitting there wondering. And the whole time, I'm thinking, you know, what are the bass doing right now? I could probably be catching bass right now. And it just takes me away from whatever I'm doing at the moment. It's just a struggle. Like, if I'm out in a deer stand, I'm sitting there, like, looking at the phone, looking at the weather. I'm like, weather is great for a fall bite right now. I could be out in the lake. And then it just, next thing you know, a deer walks under me, and I'm screwed. Like, because they, they caught me on my phone. But struggles, man. It is what it is. But I just... What's catching that? a big sealhead is unlike anything else to me, honestly. So you'd much rather catch a big steelhead than a bass? No, that's not true. Okay. But I, I, I don't think there's anything like catching a big steelhead. I'd love to catch like a six-pound smallmouth in the fall, but if you if you'd fought like a 30-inch steelhead, you would understand because it's okay. just... It's probably my, my naivety right now that's... that's where my mindset's at. So I guess if I, it might be an unfair question because I have never caught a steelhead. But if you were to catch, say, like, if you had the choice of catching a 30-plus-inch steelhead or an 8-plus-pound bass out of New York, which one would you choose? Probably an 8-plus-pound bass because I've caught 30-inch-plus steelhead. Oh, okay. What, what's the – I mean, I don't know if you know off the top of your head, but what's the state record for a steelhead? State- State record for steelhead is out of Lake Ontario, and it's got to be like 30 pounds. I think there was a big one caught out of the Salmon River a while ago that was like 25 pounds. Like, if you're breaking 20 pounds in New York for a steelhead, that's that's pretty crazy. Is there like a place that's known to have the best steelhead fishing? Yeah, the Salmon River for sure. Salmon River? But I I just don't like going there because it's it's big water and there's a ton of people. Hmm. But uh, the, lower the, Ni- the lower yeah. Niagara is good for steelhead, too. Okay. Do you know uh, Alex Coral? Yeah. I'm pretty sure he fishes Niagara a bunch, and he seems he to does. some good fish. Um, but I think that's one misconception. I don't know if it is a misconception that just deterred me from trout fishing. My father and I, 
on April 1st, like back when I was young, we'd, we'd go run the streams and because we didn't know what the hell we we're doing. So we'd go down to like Naples and it'd yeah. just be everyone lining streams and it's just like, that didn't seem fun to me. I don't know if it's always like that. I mean, no, still the, only t- the only time you'll see that is like if you're trib fishing for salmon, usually. But I mean, if there's like a strong run of brown trout and steelhead, then some of the bigger tribs like Oak Orchard and Burt Dam, 18 Mile, you'll see like, you'll see that people just shoulder to shoulder. But most of the smaller tribs around here, you're maybe like, I mean, I've gone like prime time. There'll be no one there. Like it's, it's just, it all depends, honestly. Huh. I'm sure the guys that really know what they're doing, probably you don't see them at those locations where guys are shoulder to shoulder. Oh, absolutely not. To, at least to. not, at least not during like November. Hmm. Like I know Ben went to Oak Orchard like December ish, and there's definitely there's maybe like a quarter of as many people as there normally is. Hmm. Just because people can't like can't stand the cold, or there's not as many fish, so it's definitely harder to fish for them. So you get your your guys that are actually out there for the root cause of it, not just yeah. the, that makes sense. That's when you see the the true true seal at fisherman, I guess. Nice. Okay. Did you did you ever think of that idea you wanted to bring up? Oh, I was I was just going to talk about how, as a fisheries biologist, like as my major, it definitely gives me a, a different perspective on fishing. Okay. You want to put that more into detail? What you what you mean by that? Just like learning about fish behavior and like how fish anatomy works like you definitely think a little bit different in your mind like i remember one distinct example is i was in ichthyology and we were learning about how fish have rods and cones in their eyes which helps them see light and color then we were talking about how at 30 foot fish virtually can only see one color i can't remember what it was i think it's like red but everything else it literally looks gray so I was thinking, like, what if you're fishing for smallies in, like, 35 foot of water? Like, it really wouldn't matter what color you're throwing because it all looks the same. As long as it's just there. Yeah, and I was thinking, like, oh, with big lakers, like, if you're fishing deep, like, all they see is gray, so why does it matter? I just remember, like, thinking about people, like, oh, you got to be trolling whatever, this color spoon, this this depth, and I'm, like, past 30 foot – Half, half of all fish can't even see anything. All they see is gray. Yeah, it does kind of make you think, though. If you on a, if you are on a bite like that, and they are hitting a certain color over another, why is that? You know, I have no idea. I, I, I was thinking about that that day. That's interesting. So, like, when but, you go out on the water, then say you're, whether it's, say you're going out fun fishing for bass, you know, is that something you have in your mind as? what you do at college do you kind of think of certain things when you're when you're going around like along a bank and you're fishing do you kind of try to put that in perspective and try to use that towards helping you pattern a bite i definitely i definitely try to but i i just haven't like studied bass enough to really truly like use that as an advantage i guess i just know enough about fish anatomy that i might notice something that if if someone else caught a fish versus when I caught a fish, I might notice like if I did something different, that could be something with the fish's anatomy. Like 
Say I'm throwing, you could be like throwing a chatter bait versus a spinner bait. Maybe I catch a fish. My buddy next to me like doesn't catch a fish. You'd be thinking like, oh, the fish is feeding with its lateral line. Like maybe they want something with more vibration, stuff like that. But I, I, I definitely have not studied bass enough to like fully understand how they work and to use that to my advantage. But hopefully in the next, next year or two, I'll, I'll figure something out. Well, that's always kind of interesting too, is like you watch tactical bass and some of their videos that they have and like the underwater footage and they talk about how bass feed. And it's interesting. Some of the videos where you have a bass that's not even facing, you know, your bait, but they can feel that propulsion or that, you know, that vibration through the water. And that's what they talk about is that line. And that's, that's how they sense different things. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of interesting. It makes you think like, you know, when you're in real muddy water, they might not see your bait, but they can just feel where it is. So it's, it's kind of interesting. It probably and helps. The thing with bass is like, they don't have uh, some other types of fish like catfish and other fish that live on the bottom. They can feel up to like 20 feet with their lateral line. The bass can only like feel five to six feet. Huh. So that it's like fishing for other types of fish. Like they can feel a lot further than most bass can. That's interesting. That's probably why it's so important sometimes to be so tight to, to certain cover when you're fishing mm-hmm. in certain conditions. That's Especially, I can definitely see it in like muddy water. Yeah. Like you have, you have to think like, you might be throwing something with a lot of vibration, but if you're not getting within five, six feet of a bass, they won't even notice. Wow. That kind of puts it into perspective because, you know, on the water, five, six feet is not as big as you think it is. No, you know? definitely not. Yeah. So that kind of, it changes how you, you know, pretty much try to hone in on an area, you know, trying to pick apart an area. That's interesting. Do you plan on studying more about bass then? Uh, I'm trying to do something with bass for my senior research project, but with all this coronavirus stuff, I, I have no idea what's going to happen. So, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, people say two, three weeks, and some people say, you know, it could be months. Some say I eight hope not. months, which is absurd. But first, least, the first college term of the year for me, at least, is uh, April 17th. So, Less than a month. Yeah, it's going to be cutting it close. Where's that one at? That's a that's down in Virginia at Smith Mountain Smith again. Mountain. I have a, a buddy that I met at the Classic who works for Sports Warehouse, and uh, he's all he fishes is Smith Mountain, and he's posting every day of these giant bass and stripers, and he he said the best bite is actually at night. Really, there. just hugging the bank. And that's all you do. And he said it's kind of interesting too because you see scorpions on the walls, which is kind of creepy. You see how they glow? Which yeah, kinda, just blows my mind. But he said, yeah, all they do is they throw big swim baits and topwaters for bass at night, and that's how you catch them, which is kind of nuts. I mean, I can understand it because, like, some of the best fishing for size in New York I've had was at night. It was at night. It is what it is, but. I I would definitely like to fish Smith Mountain, like, around this time of year and not have to fish it in April because, like, the the past two tournaments I've fished there, it's been, like, super late spawn or already post-spawn almost yeah like last year we were there and it was 80 to 85 degrees the one day we were down there in april which is just then the water's already like almost 70 which is just insane yeah 
Well, especially with this winter, too, how quick it was. Everything's heating yeah. up fast. And I think this time last year, we still had ice, you know. you know, And yeah. I was out on a body of water yesterday that was already 46 degrees, which is absolutely absurd. So it's it's kind of nuts how it's playing into it and see how it affects the fish. You know, I might spread them out earlier than we thought, which is going to be kind of interesting. But you know, it is – we got to roll with the hits and see what happens. Hopefully, excuse me, this virus – it's gone quick. Hopefully. Yeah, because a lot if of not, blues... If not, I'll be fishing Cayuga like every day. But <laughs> Yeah. You, I'll, be, you... I'll be taking my laptop on the boat, taking my online classes. There you go. They're bringing out the hot spot and being out in the water. Yeah. That's one thing it's, it's interesting because it's affecting so many people in the, whether it's college, jobs, you know, mom and pop shops, different things like that. Like businesses are closing down because of this already. Yeah. It's just, it's absurd. Hopefully my boat doesn't get stuck in quarantine. Nah, I don't think so. I think the best way to get to quarantine is get that boat out. It's it's coming out this week, so. There you go. There you go. Any big plans? Not really. I mean, I gotta, I gotta figure out this online class stuff before I can really start planning anything. Yeah. It's definitely gonna be, it's definitely gonna be different going from taking upper level college classes and now they're online which is just even harder i don't think it's gonna work yeah it's just it's hard to stay focused with online classes in my mind you know people like i think working from home is different than taking a class from home because you know when you're in class you're more engaged you're there and that's all you can really think about and then now that it's online, you have all you know. You have your Xbox over here. You have your boat that you're staring at outside, and the <laughs> conditions, and you have the lake, and it's tough. It's tough. It's not like a job where you know you need to do it to make money. It's no. college really. Like, all right, if I could put this off, I can do this later. You know, it's stuff like that. It's tough, but well, dude, we're gonna we're gonna translate into a. Uh, my fun question segment, but before we do, is there any uh, shout-outs you want to give, any social media people should follow? Uh, I mean, I want to give a shout-out to Oliver from Big Bass Dreams just for being being an awesome guy and the, the goat when it comes to swim bait fishing. Nice. nice. I mean, definitely, definitely he's the one who got me into throwing big swim baits, and he definitely uh, – I finally got to meet him, and he's he's an awesome guy, and – Everybody should honestly go watch the Big Bass Dreams YouTube channel and try and learn some stuff about the big swim baits because that guy has so much knowledge and it's just incredible to watch how he puts it to work. He does some phenomenal stuff. And he, he doesn't just do it, you know, at random times. He can do it when he wants. Like, I've seen some of those big bass tournaments he enters and he wins a good amount of them because yeah. that's how they work. But, yeah. Sweet. Where can, uh, where can people follow you at? Uh, you can follow me on Instagram. That's pretty much all I have. It's just Lock <laughs> underscore Holmes. I don't think there's too many people that are named Lock Holmes, so it should pop up pretty quick. <laughs> Perfect. Well, you ready for the uh, these last two questions to end uh, our uh, podcast here? I'm ready. I don't know if you're familiar with them, so they could be kind of tough. All right. <laughs> all right. So the first question, if you could invite any three people to sit down and have dinner with you to pick their brain, and they can be past or present, who would you invite? Three people. Hmm. doesn't have to be fishing either. It could be anybody. I mean, I would definitely love to just 
sit down and talk with Oliver for sure. I, I, I only got to talk to him for like maybe 30 minutes and I learned more than I probably ever could. So I definitely would love to talk to him. And then, I mean, I, I'd like to talk to Jordan Lee okay, just to see how he came up through the college fishing. And I mean, going back to back and the Bassmaster Classic. And I would also like to hear his reasoning behind go- leaving Bass and going to MLF, which to me is just MLF doesn't do it for me. So, but we won't get into that. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, 32 pound bag, pretty much. You know, he had five yeah. fish. Was it 32 pounds or something like that? Something like that. Something absurd. Yeah. Hmm. I'm thinking if I want to go more of the swim bait route or. <laughs> Is there anybody in trout fishing that you look up to? Oh, Eric Hadia. I'd love to talk to him because that huh? guy's just, he's an absolute hammer. He's un- uncut angling, right? No, Eric, Eric Hadia is just like, he guides out in uh, Wisconsin. Oh, okay. And like oh, the so Milwaukee Harbor. That was, with, was with Perrick in the 39 yeah. hours series? Okay. He, ice, yeah. he catches like 30 pound browns through the ice. Like he's just, he's always on them. I want to know how. And when you spend your life chasing after one fish, you tend to learn about him, right? Yeah. But no, that stuff is impressive. It, it That series is actually really cool just because you saw how much knowledge guys had for certain species. I know. 39 hours is awesome. It was unreal, yeah. All right, I like that. That's a cool three. I haven't had Eric on there before. I haven't had Oliver. Surprisingly, I didn't have Oliver on here uh, before. Jordan Lee, that's a first two. No one ever said Jordan Lee. That's that's power three. So you know, the last question before we wrap this up is uh, plain and simple. Favorite fishing memory? Favorite fishing memory is... Hmm, that's going to be a tough one. Probably, I mean... Coming in second in the high school state championship was just like, that's probably my favorite fishing memory. Even it was kind of like bittersweet since we lost by so little of weight. Yeah. It's like one more big fish and we would have had it in the bag, but definitely like being able to come in second with one of my high school buddies who Aiden, who I've been friends with since I was like in fifth, sixth grade, like being able to finally like, finally get to go to nationals and like finally qualify it was just it was such a relief and it's it was just such a fun day that's, that's awesome. probably my favorite fishing memory i was nice. gonna say my first big swim bait fish but that wasn't that memorable <laughs> that was just that was just when i knew i was on to something that just led to a uh to you spending a lot of your bank account on more swim baits oh yeah that's <laughs> we won't talk about that <laughs> I would I would buy a Roman bait, but I don't think I'd ever throw it. At least not up here. I would still be scared too. Even if they the pike don't like them, I would still be scared too. Just <laughs> mad, just because like I could be a clutch sometimes, and I feel like I would definitely cast that thing off. I got I got my eye slide stuck the other day, and I bought what's swimming. It's like a seventy dollar lure. Oh my gosh! Yeah, and the Romans are what two three hundred? Uh, the the mother is five hundred. Oh my gosh! <laughs> how how do you cast off five hundred dollars? I don't know if I could do that. They just came out with an even bigger one. I don't know if you saw it, but I posted on my Instagram story the other day. That one's uh, sixteen and a half inches, and it weighs one point three pounds. 
Oh my gosh. Has anyone yeah. ever seen anything on it? I'm sure I'm sure people have. I'm sure Manabu Karita has. He's the one who caught the world record on the mother, so Oh my god. What what's the world record now? It's like I, I it's twenty something pounds. It's something insane. Oh gosh, I can't. Even... Of, I know it's out of Lake Biwa. That's all I know. Oh. Isn't there that guy that's throwing like a? I think it's Biwa where he throws it. He throws like an umbrella rig of all yeah, like. That's Manu Kurita. That's Is the that guy. That's him? Oh, okay. That's the guy who caught the world record. He like goes like four days without bites, just looking for that one big fish, and just yeah. fishes all day without bites. Like that's like, I would go mentally insane. It's dedication for sure. No, one hundred percent. I guess yeah. When you have the world record, you know why not? But I mean, I can't even catch a freaking eight pound bass, let alone something over twenty. <laughs> Ridiculous. All right, man. We're gonna wrap this up. Just want to say thank you for taking the time. I know you're oh, going. Thank, to thanks for having me on there. Yeah, of course. Welcome anytime, and uh, I'm looking forward to getting out in the water with you once this whole virus crap is done. <laughs> so I wish you the best with these online classes, and uh, we'll be in touch, man. All right. Thanks, buddy. Take care. So I hope you guys enjoyed that podcast there with Locke. Uh, great guy. Uh, great fisherman. Um, if you have any questions from the New York area on swim baits, trout, this guy will definitely help you out. Um, like I said, really good dude. And I hope he is able to cap off his, his last year of college bass fishing and does well. Um, again, with this virus thing, it's putting holds on a lot of people. So, um, a really great guy. I can't wait for this whole thing to blow over so Locke and I can get out and fish with each other. Uh, it's always a blast. Hopefully we can get out and throw some swim baits, make some swim bait videos for you guys. That will be pretty sweet. Um, but overall, hope you guys enjoyed. Go follow him down at his Instagram page linked below. Uh, and if you're not already, subscribe to this YouTube channel. If you're not watching from YouTube, um, you can listen to the Serious Angler podcast on Spotify. Apple Podcasts, Anchor, the Angler app, pretty much anything out there you can listen to us on. So thank you guys again for watching, and we'll, uh, we'll see you next time. Hey, guys. I just want to say thank you for listening to my podcast in its entirety. With that being said, if you'd like to support the Serious Angler Podcast, please head to my page and click support. Any amount really helps me be able to create content for you guys. And also helps me, you know, pay the bills, which gives me more time to make podcasts for you guys. Thank you guys again for listening to the Serious Angler podcast, and we'll see you guys next time.